The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, and 1069thefan.com. 401, your kickoff time here on the Full Court Press. Eric France and Ethan Dursteller, uh, part of the NFL. Big deal around here. Huge deal. Not true. Government Affairs Coordinator of the National Football League joins us on the Full Court Press. I am Ajay Salveson. Very special welcome to however and wherever you are joining us from. Uh, always willing to participate and love to have, or excuse me, not always willing, but always welcome to participate in our show. Uh, if you would like to, if you want to text in, you can do so at 435-339-0321. If you want to call in, 435-752-1069. You know the drill. Join in however and wherever you wish. Uh, love to hear from you. We've got a lot of great topics to go over. Uh, a couple major ones on the college football side. A major, major one in regards of a former Aggie quarterback. You know his name. He has decided to move on to a place that was, I guess, some were surprised, and but some were knew it was coming. Uh, in fact, 2776 texted in last night after our show saying, called it, hashtag, guns up. I mean, it, honestly, could, should any one of us be surprised that's where Henry Columbia, he's going to Texas Tech, he's being reunited with the coach who recruited him, the offensive coordinator that worked with him, it makes a lot of sense that that's where he would go, but Matt Wells and Coach Yost have another problem they have to deal with is now they have six quarterbacks on that campus. Yeah, it's okay. So I so was looking at the depth chart, though. Give. No, I was looking at the depth chart, though. Uh, I don't know if it's that complicated as we are making it seem. I honestly think that Henry Columbia's fighting for a starting position, that he is actually in play for a starting position. Not that I mean, I'm not saying he's a guarantee to start. Just saying that there's a chance that he could start, that he's in play for it, that he's going to fight for that spot. Uh, QB wise, they have. Let's see here. I gotta make sure I do this right. Uh, they have. Ooh, oh man, it's gonna make me go through all the alphabetical freaking order. Uh, anyways, so they have, what, five quarterbacks on the depth chart, they've but got, two of them are red shirts, right? Freshman and a sophomore? Yeah, they've got a red shirt freshman, two, three, four sophomores, and Henry Columbia, it looks like. So, right now, on the roster, they have it as Alan Bowman, who is a sophomore, uh, Maverick McIver, who is a red shirt freshman, Gabriel Lozano, who is a red shirt freshman, uh, and then you add on Henry Columbia. I think Columbia's actually right there within the top two to start. Now, the question is, is he a Big 12 starting kind of quarterback, Eric? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Because Ethan felt Big- otherwise when, when he thought, when he heard those words of Henry Columbia, Big 12 starting quarterback. I, I, think, I think he, well, I, just requ- I think he is because look at the, the style that he learned under with Matt Wells and David Yost. And... That's really a byproduct of how Yost learned from the old Texas Tech mastermind. Um, gosh, now all of a sudden his name has escaped me. It was Mike at Leach. Washington State. 
Mike Leach. Yeah, Mike Leach. Thank you. Um, and so it, it's that uh, you know, air it out, quick game, um, move at a fast pace, uh, throw it around, but mobile. So I, I don't know. I thought that that would make a, a good, a, a lot of sense that he would go there. But Ethan, you feel you feel otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I I think like you said. Henry Columbi knows how to run the air raid well. David Yost learned how to run the air raid from Mike Leach, who had great success at Texas Tech and Washington State and is now at Mississippi State. I just think that this is an indictment of, of Texas Tech's recruiting class. The fact that Henry Columbi, who, while was a great Mountain West player, is competing, it, it transferred to a Big 12 school and is immediately competing for a starting quarterback slot, I think doesn't reflect really well on the incoming recruiting class at a Big 12 school. I mean, put him if you were to put Henry Columbia, match him up against the best quarterback for Oklahoma or Texas. I just don't think that that you can really even compare the two. That's not a that's not a diss on Henry Columbia. It's just a just maybe a high praise for the starting quarterbacks and the the, the level of talent that those big schools have coming in and playing for him. That's while fair. You, while Utah State, Henry Columbia completed fiftieth fifty three of sixty nine passes for just four hundred and sixty yards over two years. Again, he didn't get a lot of reps. Reason why is because he's playing he was playing behind a first round quarterback by the name of Jordan Love, which I mean that that's gonna happen to you. But again, in the room, in that quarterback room, he'll join Alan Bowman, he'll join Maverick McIver. Uh experience and like you said, familiar with the system, Eric, that you brought up. I, I think this kid's probably gonna be starting game one if and when there is a game one. So I don't know Tech what's Raiders. happened with Texas Tech because I don't follow them every day. But um, when I looked at a, at a roster, I saw f- four other quarterbacks already in there. And now when I'm looking at their roster on the Texas Tech site, their official site with their official 2020 roster, they only list two quarterbacks. Yeah. So if, if things have moved around, if things have changed – there is a place for Henry Columbia to go right in and, and compete to be the starter. Uh, his dad was uh, was pretty active on social media last oh, night. Oh yes, <laughs> saying that uh, he's he's blessed, can be more proud and excited for what's going on, uh, completing his dream for his son to play Big Twelve football. Um, anyway, uh, Henry Columbia put some things out on social media. Really wanted to thank Aggie Nation for their support. Uh, create a lot of uh, relationships and memories. But um, he says, through uh, days of prayer and conversations with my family, it was clear to me that God has a plan for me, and I trust him to lead me in the right direction. With that being said, I will be spending my next two years with the coaches that believed in me and my potential from the very beginning. Again, if you want to text, and you can do four three five three three nine zero three two one, or call in at four three five seven five two one zero six nine nine three one five has texted in. Says I heard today from a pretty credible source that Henry at QB was already looking to transfer before. Gary was uh, looking for someone to replace him, and he wasn't leaving because of the new QB transfer from BYU, Jason Shelley. Not sure what that means. I also think it was awesome to have two real good running backs, and I think Devontae Henry Cole, get into that in just a moment, is a really good get for the running back. For him and Jalen Warren will do amazing things. I think the team is going to be a surprise uh, for us, like I've mentioned before, due to all these great transfers. Go Aggies. Thank you, 9315, to text in. I think what he was trying to say is that he, there was a, from what he had heard, that Gary Anderson was looking to move 
in to find somebody else to be the quarterback anyway before Jason Shelley came into the picture? I think that's kind of the question that still remains was, and in fact, Ethan asked me this before the show, did Gary go get Jason or did Henry go get, or did Mac go get Henry? Which one happened first? That's kind of the question that left remains standing, and I don't think we'll ever get an answer. And I don't know if it really, and, and, and they'll say it doesn't matter. Kind of does. Like if Henry does. says, hey, I'm leaving, it matters in the locker Gary's going right? to say, yeah. yeah, I need a quarterback. Yeah. If or if Gary says, "Hey, Jason Shelley, I really like this guy." Henry's going to say, "Well, then I'm not starting." Then, well, the players are going to care if Gary got rid of their guy, but if their guy was looking to leave, then it's going to be much easier for them to understand. Right? Did they rally around Jason Shelley because here's a guy who wants to be here and uh, is happy to be a part of our mix, or is here, or is this the guy that chased off the guy that was part of our group for the last three years? Yeah. Again, Henry Columby is headed to Texas Tactical Play with his former uh, head coach and OC. That's uh, Matt Wells and David Yost. Do you think Henry can have success as a starter in the Big 12 Conference? We know what a shootout those games are. 59 to 56 games are a regularity in the Big 12 Conference. Can Henry compete with those kind of with those kind of shootouts in the kind of a scoreboard? Well, I, I think the other thing too to keep in mind is that. Matt Wells and Coach Yost came into a situation where they didn't really handpick hardly any of those players. And they did an average job <laughs> with what they had. Um, now they've had a full year of recruiting and additional things, a full year and a half, really, essentially. But now they also get a chance to bring in somebody that knows their language, understands what their expectations are. And so that coaching staff has... Uh, has a leg up with what's going on with the, with the quarterback situation. Instead of trying to mold somebody into what they want, they can get somebody that already comes in and understands. So I think it'll help Henry. I think it'll help Matt and Coach Yost. But you know what, what does he have around him? That I don't know. Yeah, I agree with Eric. I think it helps. It certainly helps the coaching staff. It helps the team run more fluidly. My question is just, does the talent match other Big 12 teams. I mean, I'm looking at 247 sports right now, and Texas alone has recruited two of the top five quarterback recruits in, in this year's class. So Texas Tech's bringing in Henry Columbia and, and, and the University of Texas right down the road is recruiting two of the best five high school quarterbacks in the country. I, I, I mean, again, I think Henry Columbia is a great quarterback. I, I don't know if he's a future NFL prospect, but, you know, Texas is bringing in two guys that certainly are, and they already are starting – you know, Sam Ellinger, who was a Heisman candidate last year. So, I mean, while, yeah, it makes things easier for the coaching staff, they have a guy that they want. Does the talent level match up with what they're going to be facing in the Big 12? I think that's the question. Yeah. it's a good point. Good point. So, from former Gridiron Aggie players to now the current Gridiron of the Aggie football team, the Mountain West Conference had, uh, I guess, postponed, quote-unquote, indefinitely their uh, Mountain West virtual media days and have instead today released the Mountain West uh, preseason polls for both the Mountain Division and the West Division. So we go start with the Mountain Division itself, uh, where Boise State once again has been ranked as number one in their division to finish. They rank with a whopping 125 points, well ahead of second place Wyoming, who garnered the only first place vote other than Boise State in the Mountain Division. Does that surprise you? Before we go any further, does sure. it surprise you that somebody gave Wyoming a first place vote? No, because I think Wyoming's going to be second place. I think Wyoming is a dang good football team. Well, I think they are too, but it surprised me, Eric. They're not going to be better than <laughs> Boise. 
I was shocked to see that somebody out there gave Wyoming a first place vote. And they didn't give it to to Boise State. How much everything that Boise State came from Wyoming too. (laughs) Someone's like, you know what? I'm sick of Boise State. Bam, Wyoming, take that. Uh, They garner 90 total points. Air Force finishes in third with 86. Then uh, 26 points below Air Force. 26 is Utah State with 60, and they finish one point ahead of fifth place Colorado State. And of course, New Mexico finishes well below. Everybody else in sixth place at 21 points. Comments on the Mountain Division, folks? Not too surprised, to be honest. Uh, I am a little surprised to see just how close Utah State and Colorado, Colorado State, State were. Are. Air Force is going to be a problem this year, I think. People are saying, are saying, well, Air Force is way ahead of Utah State. Why are they... Say-? You know what? They're going to be a good football team. Here is the kicker to it, though. The quarterback is now no longer on the football team because he's not in good standing as a cadet. Whether he's kicked out of the university or not, I have no information of, or at least have not seen. But he is not on the football team because, again, he's, on quote-unquote, not in good standing as a cadet at the university. If I remember right, wasn't there a slight quarterback battle last year? Yeah. Between two guys, so it may not be a a big drop-off from one of them transferring. Did one of them transfer? So yeah. Hammonds is it Hammonds that's left? Is that still there? That was I can't remember which one got suspended. Well, uh, one of them was is boy, that's a good question. I guess my point would just be I wonder if that if that if the drop off from QB one to QB two is huge, or if those were the two guys that were in the in the quarterback battle last year. Uh, oh yeah, I, uh, uh, Isaiah Sanders transferring to Stanford. He did well for himself. Yeah, yes. no kidding. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a report on the Air Force quarterback. I'm not seeing one anywhere. I know that there was a report that uh, they had their, they lost their quarterback again because he wasn't in good standing, but I'm not seeing it right now. But nonetheless, Air Force again does finish uh, in third place. Utah State in fourth place. Is that why you guys kind of expect him to be in the conference, at least in the Mountain Division itself? I think so. I, I I I thought they could have been a bit higher. I think that the reason that they, perhaps that they came in a bit lower, was because last year's recruiting class finished a little bit lower, and this year's recruiting class as well is ranked pretty low in the conference. So maybe folks are thinking that you know with with the turnover that 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 Gary will have a hard time replacing guys that have left. Um, but at the same time, we've brought in a lot. Utah State's brought in a lot of great transfers, so it'd be interesting to see. I thought maybe that they'd be better than Wyoming. Um, but fourth seems fair. Uh, okay, so this just came out yesterday. Aja, you're talking about quarterbacks at Air Force. Yep. Um, Donald Hammond the third. Yeah, Hammonds. No longer in good standing, and could miss the entire 2020 season. So they've got one guy who's transferred. He's leaving to go to Stanford, and then they've got another quarterback who's no longer a cadet in good standing and cannot represent the academy in outside activities. That sounds pretty serious. He's out. You know, if there's two or three teams in the country that can do without their starting quarterback, though, Air Force is probably one of them, simply by virtue of the system that they run, right? Most, yeah, true. Most, you know, it's them, Army, and, and and basically them and Army that run the triple option, right? It doesn't rely as heavily on a quarterback as most teams' offenses do. So while it's a big a big blow... I mean, maybe air, maybe maybe people look at that and they think Air Force can 
handle that better than any other university simply by virtue of the offensive system they're playing. Just need an athlete. Just put a, yeah, put a running back in there. Uh, DJ Hammond III, by the way, was on the Davey O'Brien watch list, which recognizes the top 30 returning quarterbacks in the country. Mm-hmm. So that's that came out a week ago, and then this week uh, he's not even going to be able to play. So uh, Air Force has some issues at quarterback, but you're right. It's not really been a problem. A few years ago, Utah State played them, and they were going to have their third-string quarterback because they had injuries, and the Aggies just couldn't figure this guy out. They killed him. Yeah. Well, their whole entire offense killed him. I mean, it was. I mean, the defensive line got dominated. the The second level linebackers were just lost and confused. Didn't help that Woodward went out. I think halfway through the game, and then by the by the third midway through the third quarter, that team that defense was gassed. Our offense was incredibly unproductive. Uh, whether it was execution or play calling, you can take you can take either one and put it up there, and it would stick to the board. It was just a bad game overall, entirely by Utah State. We struggled against Air Force, I think, since we got into the Mountain West yeah, in 2013. Think, you think about the game two years ago when we were had Air Force at our house, and we had like a 15 or a 16 point lead, got dwindled down to I think eight, and we had to have a last minute stop thanks to David Woodward and uh, Tuvea or what's his name. The linebacker who had a broken hand ended up having a career. He came back for his first game and had seven tackles that night and was uh, the player of the week. Uh, so, yeah, Air Force has always gave Utah State problems, and I don't think that's going to be any different this year. What does surprise me a little bit, when you look at the, the overall points that were awarded, and maybe it's not totally fair to compare points uh, between the Mountain Division and the West Division, Effectively, Utah State is ranked eighth in the entire Mountain West. Yeah, let's go ahead and go quickly through the West Division. San Diego State finishes with 19 first place votes in the West Division. That garners them first, 122 points total. Nevada gets two first place votes. That's at 100 uh, points. Hawaii's at 74 points. Fresno State, San Jose State, UNLV finishes last with 29 points. So you're right. More, I guess, more or less, they finished eighth place in the Mountain Division. Surprises me a lot, especially like with Hawaii and Fresno State, to be honest with you. Hawaii and Fresno, very close. Just one point separates them, similarly to what Utah State, Colorado State, and their rankings. Uh, another surprise in the uh, in the West Division that Nevada got two first-place votes. That's a team that just really didn't seem to figure out who their quarterback was going to be. That was always a question, always a problem with them. They had some other things that were going going right for them. They got to a bowl game last year, but just trying to figure out who their quarterback was, and it wasn't because of injuries. They're just wildly inconsistent. Um, so maybe they've got that settled for who's coming back and how they uh, project to go for this upcoming season. But that one did surprise me a little bit to see Nevada getting two first-place votes in the West Division. Ethan? I... I'm going to take this a little bit different direction. I think my money, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, would be on Hawaii to win the West Division. I thought that they were excellent last year. Cole McDonald obviously left, who was an excellent quarterback, but I think that they, their new coach, can't remember his name, has a great system. Their defense was tough. Their offense moves the bar really well. Uh, I think that they, and I was not impressed by San Diego State last year, and everything that I've seen of folks that are they're bringing in and are coming back doesn't make me think they're going to be any better. I think Hawaii... Uh, by virtue of what Eric said, Nevada doesn't really have a solid quarterback, and and then San Diego State being a little bit up in the air. I think Hawaii is going to be. They came out of the West Division last year. And I think they're going to come out again this year. 
But they could be a real surprise team. I mean, uh, Cordero is coming back. He had a lot of reps at quarterback yeah. at times when McDonald was out. So uh, that could be a really dangerous team. Hawaii could be. Yeah, it could be really interesting. And the other team that actually, again, I, I, I bounce around, but I, Nevada, honestly, I think it's going to be a better team than people expect. I think they're going to turn some heads. Don't know if they win the division, but I think it's going to be closer than what many would expect. Again, we talk about that the Mount West Conference football season's happening, right? Nobody knows. Nobody has a single clue right now, especially with virtual media days being postponed indefinitely, which means I would say they are not happening. Uh, and we don't even know if conference football will happen or what it will look like or even when it will happen, fall or spring. Things are just on absolute fluid mode, which is uh, cause for concern around the country. Uh California has shut down high school football, as we talked about yesterday. Florida and Georgia announced today they're all go. They will go with high school football with no and with no restrictions of, of that sort, at least in the football department. Surprised. Like, I, I think there's like one that's saying, hey, we're going to be extra cautious here, and the other one says, look, enough with the cautiousness. It's, it's just, let's, talk, let's move on. Let's, let's live life. But uh, I don't know. I'm worried that it's going to come back to bite Florida. It's going to come back to bite Georgia. And then we're going to be back at square one again. I would have been surprised, but I spent a little bit of time in Tennessee last year and and, and finally came to understand just how big football is in the South and what it is. <laughs> and I don't think that, that we quite even grasp how important it is for them down there. It's People say, oh, it's a religion. And we think, yeah, that sounds fun. But it, it's it's a gigantic thing that people look forward to. It's a big deal. It's a big, big, big deal. It, it, a lot of the a lot of the economy, not, not just the cities and the cultural aspect of those cities, but a lot of the economies revolve around high school football in these small southern towns where everybody pitches in, the stadiums are gigantic, the concessions, the merchandise, everything that goes into it. You know, it's as big as college football in some of those smaller towns. So I think that, you know, the consideration isn't just football is what we live for. It's also, you know, we have a lot of small businesses in these struggling communities that, 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 that need high school football. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming back, it's time to talk some uh, NFL news. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk franchise contract, or franchise tag, excuse me, and uh, contracts. Eric, I can't talk today. Like, I'm speaking Indian. Do you ever have that problem? Uh, I personally <laughs> never have that problem. I do. My native language comes back to get me. <laughs> I just I realized someone just texted me and said, dude, you you aren't talking normal that's all they put so thank you to that friend of mine who texts me and says i'm not talking normal much love much love <laughs> all right let's take a break coming back uh ethan durstaler getting here with us of the nfl we're going to talk franchise tags what do they mean and what we're going to talk about some of the players who have the great players who have been affected by the franchise tag and what their future looked like after that and then of course we do got some nba news the courts have been shown they look beautiful uh, they look really really good uh, Houston Astros are uh, being victims of the beanball. No surprise there. Uh, and uh, much, much more to come here on the Full Court Press. 424 your time here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, and 106.9thefan.com. The Aggies, the Jazz, the High Schools, the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric Franson, Ethan Durstale, our special guest weekly here on the Full Court Press. By the way, want to quickly, we want to get something out while we can. Ethan Durstale is going to have a podcast with us, and that will be posted on 1069thefan.com or iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. 
uh, as uh, as in partnership with us, and we are excited to have uh, you know Ethan has a lot of great contacts uh, and uh, people to uh, that he can reach out to as part of the NFL, and we're going to talk some uh, some football in a little bit of a different way. But Ethan, we're excited for that podcast. Hopefully, should have it going by uh, next week, and uh, we'll we'll share that with everybody. Uh, so all these uh, crazy sports maniacs here in Cash Valley can uh, continue to hear great content. No, I'm excited to do that and really thankful to you guys for giving me the opportunity. I think we'll have a lot of fun and, and uh, hopefully talk to some cool people. I, as long as we don't have Eric on as a guest, that's all I ask. <laughs> He's going to be my first guest. I'm out of the mix. I can just you see said it. hopefully cool people, so I automatically... You're like, okay, I'll just dial this number. You just doesn't tell me the number, than and then yeah. I'm like... I hear on the voice, hello? What's up, AJ? <laughs> Why is Eric on our podcast? I could just see it happening. Uh, hey, by the way, 9315 Texan. And again, I did hear that Henry Columby was going in as a preferred walk-on at Texas Tech. Is that right? Yes, it is. He's not a scholarship-offered player. He's a walk-on. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Which, Which, by the way, I, I think it's because they didn't have a scholarship for him. Does that mean that a Texas, te- te- Texas Tech booster is uh- – a? I, I don't. Available. I'm staying out of this conversation. <laughs> I ain't jumping into this. Car, some car dealer in You Lubbock. know what? Since you asked that, let's go ahead and get into some dirty work here in the NFL, <laughs> The Ford dealership in Lubbock, Texas. Oh, yeah. stop it. Uh, hey, the NFL uh, franchise tag has been kind of a common theme for great players. Uh, where players who think they're getting paid big money. One of the most recent ones, Eric, is, is Dak Prescott, who is franchise tagged after wanting a very large sum of money, not getting that. So it's $31.4 million, but he also means that this would be his final year, supposedly, as a Cowboy, if he looks to go elsewhere and gets paid elsewhere. So I think, Eric, you kind of brought up the, the idea last week of, let's get an idea of what the franchise tag is. Yeah, I think there's some... It's funny, I was listening to Dan Patrick this morning, and they were talking about a, a silly poll they were going to put up about things they don't really understand in sports. Uh, one of them was the salary cap in the NFL, which that seems pretty straightforward to me. But there's a few other rules or things that happen in sports that they don't always understand. But uh, franchise tag has always been one of those that um, it sounds like maybe it's one thing, but really maybe it's another. And uh, it, it's been used for for a little while. Yeah. So uh, I, my thought was in this part of the discussion with, with Ethan, who works with the NFL, definitely – knows contracts, is, first of all, let's identify what is the franchise tag when it was initially introduced. So the franchise tag, and, and I, I need to do a little bit better research. I don't know if it was part of the 2000 CBA or the 2010 CBA, but uh, it, it's a negotiated deal where it's called the franchise tag because it, it, it it's apparently signifying to a player that, hey, we want you as part of our franchise, as our franchise guy. And, and it's really good marketing on the side of the owners because it makes fans think that, that when players turn the franchise tag down or are mad that they've been tagged, that they're being selfish or don't want to be a part of their franchise. When in reality, the franchise tag just really isn't a great deal for players historically. Well, it's a, I mean, I, I think we could, I, let me explain it a little bit better before I just come out and say it's a bad deal for players. So there's three different types of tags, which are the exclusive tag, the non-exclusive franchise tag, which is basically the one that's always used. And then the transition tag, which is rarely used. The exclusive tag was used only once this year, and it was for for Dak Prescott. And 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 when the exclusive tag is put on a player, it means that the player will earn no less than the top five, than the average of the top five salaries of that player's position. 
So in Dak Prescott's case, he will earn no less than the average salary of the top five quarterbacks in the league, who at this point are Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Phillip Rivers, and Tom Brady. So not bad company, right? Um, or in Dak's case, what he got was 120% of his, player, of his, of his former salary. Uh, and he's not allowed to negotiate with other teams. So a lot of people would look at Dak and they would say, hey, that's a great deal. He's making $31.4 million. That is a great deal, but it's important that we remember that NFL players aren't like us. They're paid a lot more. They're used to a lot more money. They want commitment. So the franchise tag, the reason players don't like it is because it prevents them from negotiating long-term contracts. right? So if Dak goes out this year, while he's making $31.4 million, say he tears his ACL, Next year, he's going to make $5 million, right? Whereas had he negotiated a Patrick Mahomes deal, whether he got hurt or not, he would next year he would make a, a bunch of money. So a lot of players, I think Kirk Cousins is a great example when he was playing for the, the former Redskins, now Washington Football Club, um, wanted long-term commitment, continued getting the franchise tag, and eventually when the, and when the Redskins you know, stopped franchise tagging him, he was able to sign a large contract with the Vikings. So the, the tag is basically a way for teams to put off signing their top talent to a long-term deal because they have reservations about the player. So, um, so it's more of a how it's financially structured and how it works with the player and, and the team, not so much that the team is saying, you're our franchise guy. We're going to build our team around you. It's just a, a different way of, of establishing a contract that just kind of locks them in at a shorter exactly. time frame. Exactly. So, so the best way to say you're our franchise guy, we want to build our franchise around you, is to do what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, right? To say, hey, here's ten million. Here, here's five hundred million dollars over ten years. You're our guy. Done. The franchise tag is basically it, what it is. Is that in Dak Prescott's case, Jerry and Stephen Jones aren't sure that Dak's good. So they don't want to commit to him for six, seven, eight, nine, even 10 years because they're not sure he's good yet. So rather than committing to Dak, which is what Dak wants, because Dak, everybody wants you know stability. They want to know that, hey, I'm your guy. You believe in me. I'm going to have a consistent income over the next couple of years regardless of my injury or play. The, the franchise tag is, is basically a way to put off those negotiations. Essentially, it's saying prove it or lose it to quarterbacks. Oftentimes, it's used for you know, injury-prone guys that have had a, a, a great past, such as Hunter Henry or A.J. Green, who are both playing on the tag this year. You know, their team, the Chargers and, and the Bengals would love to give them contracts, but they don't know if they can stay healthy, so they tag them for a year. And then if they stay healthy, they'll give them a contract. But it's evolved to the point where now most teams use it how, how the Cowboys are using it with Dak this year, which is basically prove it or lose it. If you play well under the tag this year, then maybe we'll talk about a deal next year. But if we're paying you thirty-one million dollars and and you don't put out, then we're not going to then hands off of a big contract. That's just not going to happen. Some of the great players who have been franchise tagged since two thousand seven include guys like imagine this: Dwight Freeney was franchise tagged. I had no idea. Trail Suggs, Albert Hainsworth before he got way overweight and became nothing. Uh, I know that's kind of rude, but that's I remember when he went to the Patriots. It was a mess. Um, we're talking about Richard Seymour. Uh, Vince Wilfork, two Patriot Hall of Famers. I don't know if that matters to you guys. Uh, Michael Vick was franchise tagged by the Philadelphia Eagles in 2011. Think about that for a moment. Wes Welker has been franchise tagged. Uh, anybody else? That, I'm trying to think of anybody uh, with the great players. That, Pat McAfee, he's franchise tagged. Everybody loves Pat. There's 13 players playing on the tag this year. 
Oh my gosh! Yeah, Des Bryant, Demarius Thomas. So with the players that are, um, I guess one of the other questions that I had is: that, Do you see the franchise tag used most often with a certain type of position, or do you see teams use it for a wide variety of positions on their team? You usually see to see two things. I think one quarterbacks that that you. Obviously, in today's NFL, you have to have a good quarterback, and quarterbacks want long contracts, and teams don't want to give them the long contract unless they know they're the guy. And then defensive linemen, because the league is evolving to the point where defensive ends, edge rushers, are the second most valuable guys on the field, right? It used to always be the offensive tackle, and and it still is, but those those defensive ends, the league is changing so fast that teams just don't know how to pay defensive ends. The contracts change so fast. They fluctuate at such a fast rate. I think two years ago, you know, the top paid defensive end made like $12 million. This year, I think the top paid defensive end is making about, uh, it's Khalil Mack, and he's making 22, I have it right here. He's making $25 million, right? So the the salaries improve, go up for those guys so quickly that teams don't know how to negotiate the contracts. Edge rushers are asking for a lot of money. And, and and are willing to leave the team. So the team's just quick and 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 franchise tag them rather than letting them walk just to see, hey, what's the what's the defensive end market going to be next year? How much are these guys actually worth? Are there going to be some rule changes that make the defensive end less valuable? So it's it's mainly for quarterbacks and defensive ends. And then obviously like Belichick does everything different. He franchises tags offensive linemen just because he sees them as more valuable than other players. So he'll just franchise tag a good offensive lineman so they don't go anywhere. Hmm. Do you think the franchise tag will continue to be used more and more often? Or are players in the league going to figure out a way to pay the players what you know what they want, but that isn't going to kill the budget of an NFL squad? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't see it being used any less than it currently is, mostly because players, and this is a good thing, have an irrational confidence in themselves, right? They, that's why they're NFL players, because they, they bet on themselves from a young age. They've been extremely confident. They think that they always think they're going to be worth more than they probably are actually worth. And owners and, and GMs are always going to see them as being a little bit less worth a little bit less than they actually probably are. So the franchise tag is a good way for teams to say to a player, hey, maybe next year, but prove it to us. And players can't do anything about it. When you're franchise tag, you either report or you don't report. So you either make your money or you just don't play for your Le'Veon Bell, for example, was franchise tagged by the by, by the Steelers and just decided not to show up. Uh, he had that luxury. He had made enough money, right? But a lot of players, they need the money. They need to show up. They need to play. And, and it's a great opportunity for them, I think, to show that they're worth a long-term contract. So as you said, there's you said there's 13 players? There's 13 players on the tag this year. 11 of them are on the franchise tag. Dax exclusively tagged. And then, and then one of the players, Kenyon Drake, is on the transition tag. But we don't... So that basically tells me not every team in the NFL is using the franchise tag. Yeah, that's exactly right. So mo- most teams most teams have their quarterbacks under under longer-term deals, right? Or on rookie contracts. Um, so they don't need to, to franchise tag their quarterback. Um, you know, Dak was one of the few quarterbacks on the free agent market that was going to be a free agent that needed his contract negotiated. So he was franchise tagged. Um, but yeah, the majority of teams usually don't use them. I think it usually fluctuates between like 12 and 20 of the teams that actually use the franchise tag. Cause most teams, you know, have their players under contract. They take care of it. They get it done. But there's always that exception where, you know, it's a lot of money and it's a big name player and you just don't know if you're willing to make that commitment. Eric, we, Ethan and I, before the show, were talking about he showed me a website called OverTheCap.com, 
this thing is gold. Like, it has all sorts of contracts, every player in the league, what their total value is, average per year, total guaranteed, fully guaranteed, and when they become a free agent. Do you want to know what blew my mind the most out of all this? Is how much Deshaun Watson is making and who is making more than Deshaun Watson. His overall value. Guess what the number is? His overall value? Sorry, sorry. Total value of his contract. What would it be? And remember, he's on a rookie end uh, yeah, contract. He's too. a younger quarterback. Um, I don't know. $35 million. <laughs> I uh, double the wrong way. $13 million. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and this was what blew my mind was I was talking to Ethan about this. Guys like Dwayne Haskins, AJ McCarron, who's Deshaun's backup, Josh Allen, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor, Case Keenum, Daniel Jones, Taysom Hill, of course, and he, as he should be, Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> is all making more than Deshaun Watson right now. In fact, guess who the next guy who is about a million and a half below, is that right? Yeah, a million and a half below Deshaun Watson is. One guy is below just a million and a half of Deshaun Watson in total value. This backup, isn't it? A.G. McCarron? How about newly Packers quarterback Jordan Love? Oh, there you go. Oh, wow. Okay. At $12,383,470. Uh, of course, all of it's, I mean, it's fully guaranteed. Do you know what's sad to me is that those contracts are where teams win Super Bowls, right? When when you have an excellent quarterback on a rookie contract. Yeah. And, and the Texans have completely squandered that. Okay, so explain what you mean by that, because I know you were talking a little bit earlier to me about it. So so there's statistics you can look at. And again, I'm a huge contract nerd. I I, I love looking at, at how teams pay their players and, and how those decisions and commitments pay off in the long term. And I think that there's a statistic out there that – I can't remember the exact stat, but basically says that if you have one of the top paid quarterbacks, very rarely do you have a chance to win the Super Bowl. And that's mostly because teams win Super Bowls with great quarterbacks that either are taking a deal, i.e. Tom Brady, so that the team can sign better players, or with with quarterbacks on rookie contracts that are great, i.e. Patrick Mahomes, that allows the team to use uh, you know their resources to sign other players to sign to sign to keep a Tyree Kill on the roster to keep a Chris Jones on the roster to keep you know to sign a better linebacker to sign a strong offensive tackle. When you have so much money tied up with a quarterback, you don't have as much money as much as your of your cap obviously to give to other players to allocate in other directions. So the best time to win a Super Bowl is when you have a great quarterback on a rookie contract. And who, I mean, Deshaun Watson's making what like two percent of the Texans cap to take the rest of that and to give it to other players, and the Texans just gave. $23 million to a washed-up running back. And so they traded the best receiver in the game. Here's the thing with that. Has quarterback contracts became more expensive as the years went on? We're talking about Deshaun Watson, who is at $13 million. Tua Talavea Manaya, whatever the fetch his name is, $30 million guaranteed. So I just looked that up, uh, that website up. Lamar Jackson's even further down the list. Yeah. He's yeah. the MVP. Yeah. So we're talking about, you said, that's a great point. We're talking about quarterbacks. Jordan Love who's who not thrown a ball yet. Is, and he's going to make more than the reigning <laughs> MVP. So can you just talk about the, the, the trend in quarterbacks getting paid early as a rookie compared to, man, even six, seven years ago. 
So a lot of it's CBA related, right? Depending on where a quarterback's drafted because of the collective bargaining agreement, you have to sign a quarterback to a certain amount of money. Um, that being said, a lot of teams just believe that they – a lot of guys still aren't on the money ball train, right? So they look at statistics and they're like, screw it, I'm smarter than this. I am going to pay my quarterback a lot of money and we're going to build around this guy and we're going to win a Super Bowl. Whereas the teams that actually go and win Super Bowls are the teams that are able to negotiate lower contracts for their quarterbacks when they sign them and then build around them, develop them strongly, and then reward them with that talent. Obviously, right? Because Patrick Mahomes obviously was rewarded. Deshaun Watson's going to sign a gigantic extension. Um, but they both started pay, you know, getting paid for football to, for a quarterback, a really low salary. Their teams were able to build around them, and they were able to find great success. My concern with Jordan Love, right, is that he's been given so much money early on that if the Packers really commit to him, is he are they going to have any money to put talent around him? Right, they're going to have to pay Devontae Adams. That's one receiver. How are they going to fill out the rest of the offense? How are they going to make it easier for Jordan Love because they already gave him a large percentage of their cap? And like Eric said, he's never thrown a pass. Uh, with these, uh, the other thing to consider too is that there is a. With the NFL, it is a hard cap, correct? Mm. It's a soft cap. So how is that? How does the the NFL it, cap? It's a hard soft cap, <laughs> right? Because I guess part of it has to go to you know, some other expenses that are yeah. associated. But it, with the NBA, they say they have a salary cap, mm-hmm. but you can go over that cap. You just have to pay a penalty to do so. Yeah. And uh, so how do those? How does the cap work with the NFL? How is it maybe different from the NBA? So. Like you said, Eric, we have a, a hard cap where teams on a yearly basis cannot spend over right now $198 million. That'll probably go up this year and then down next year because of the coronavirus. But it's gone up around $10 million for the last 10 years, consistently mm-hmm. gone up $10 million. So a team in a given year cannot pay a player, cannot play the, their collective roster more than that cap. There's ways teams, the reason I say hard soft cap is because teams can defer payments, right? So when you sign Patrick Mahomes to a 10-year, $500 million contract, you structure the payments in a way that every year you're under the cap, but your actual the actual value of the contract exceeds the cap. Does that make sense? Right. So you defer that money. But because NFL teams, so like you said, in the NBA, and, and I mean, baseball doesn't really even have a cap. In the NBA, if the Jazz want to sign Rudy Gobert for five years, $200 million, and that takes them over the cap. All the, the Miller family just has to pay a luxury tax, right? They're billionaires. It doesn't really make a big difference. A lot of times they'll complain about it, but ultimately it doesn't really make a big a big hit in their pocketbook. The NFL, you can't do that. You just you, you just can't. It's against the rules. There is no luxury tax. You just can't tax. You just can't pay a player that much money. So it makes it harder to build a team, obviously, but it also, I think, makes building a team much more intriguing because it actually takes a little bit of... Not that being an NBA general manager isn't hard, but you have to manage those contracts in a way in the NFL that your team fits under the cap and is able to perform with a set level of talent. And you're going to have to accept that some of the guys at certain positions just aren't going to be that good because you can't afford to go over the cap. Well, an NBA team is they're trying to structure and figure out 15 contracts. Yeah. <laughs> NFL's 53 now or 54 yeah. now, right? Yeah. Wow. The new CBA. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Coming back, we'll get to some NBA news. But, of course, we start off on this break with always this week in the NFL. I'm Patrick Claybon with NFL Network Now on the Westwood One Radio Network. Amid ongoing negotiations between the NFL and the NFLPA regarding how to have a season during the COVID-19 pandemic, 
The league's latest proposal comes closer to player demands. NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport reporting that the league has offered the players' union zero preseason games, which is something they had requested. The sides reached an agreement on testing protocols Monday as well, which will have daily COVID-19 testing for players for the first two weeks of training camp. After that, if positive tests are below 5%, testing will move to every other day. The league's chief medical officer, Dr. Alan Sills, said changes will likely come as we learn more about the virus and new tests are developed. In a joint statement, the Jets and the Giants say they support New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy's decision to limit the number at large gatherings, and they will have no fans in attendance at MetLife Stadium until circumstances change. This has been NFL Network Now on the Westwood One Radio Network. Devante Henry Cole is expected to enroll at USU and play for the Aggies. So this goes back to a conversation and a debate that was going on heavily last week, bringing in a transfer, upsetting the balance of those guys that have been in the system for a while, fighting to get their shot. And you bring in a transfer that also plays that position. This is different. You can play two running backs at the same time. I don't see this being as big of an issue as the Columbia situation. Tune in weekdays at 4 here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, and 1069thefan.com. Talking the sports you care about. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. The Full Court Press, 106 and FM, 1390 AM. And you can also stream us at 106andthefan.com. If you missed any of our past shows, you know where to find them. Just go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or 106andthefan.com. And you can find our podcast and of all our previous episodes and shows and interviews in, in their entirety. Ethan Durstiller of the NFL joins us here as well. It's our weekly, uh, our weekly guest now. Becoming kind of a normality, which is a good thing. You'll also have a podcast, which we hope to kick up and get going next week. And you'll hear a lot of great interviews and some great insight from others, including Ethan. So we're excited to dive into that a little bit more and into a deeper, uh, the deeper mind of the NFL, uh, starring Ethan Durstiller. So excited about that. All right, uh, NBA news. Let's get to it. Uh, the uh, scrimmages start this week. Remember, they start on the W23rd for the Utah Jazz. And we will not air those scrimmages on our station. You can find them on AT&T Sportsnet TV. We will air their eight seasonal games, though, that they will have in the restart. And that will start on July 30th at 4.30. We will not have a show that day. We'll have a show on Friday, July 31st, which will also, of course, be our premiere of Season 3 of the Full Court Press. Season 3 already, Eric. The over-under in Las Vegas was a year and a half that we were going to survive, and we've made it. <laughs> we've made it, Eric. S- season 3 on this station? Or what do you say season three? I mean, Full Court Press has been around for a long time. Well, yeah, season three on this station. I don't know. It'd be like season 475. Okay. I have no idea. Full, full Court Press has been going for a if while. If you guys would save the episodes, maybe I'd post them for you. <laughs> maybe I'd do that just just for you. Hey, uh, Utah Jazz and uh, the this restart. By the way, have you seen the court? The NBA court? Yeah. Yes. A lot of uh, the media people... Tweeting out, uh, shooting video of what the the court will look like. I'll be honest, I did not expect that many video screens around the court. Yeah. Okay. So Ethan asked a good question. It's definitely the made screens? for TV. How's uh, the guy gonna shoot? Yeah, behind the hoop. <laughs> like, is he gonna see like him? Like, and if it's on delay, that's gonna mess him up even more. I think so. If you haven't seen it, basically, there's a half, or, or even that. So one side of the court is open. That's where they'll have some seating. That's where the cameras will be, will be able to shoot, um, where you would normally see a, a, a traditional camera angle of a, of a basketball court, though that'll be lower than normal. But then behind the hoop, 
along the side and then behind the other side of the hoop, on the other side of the floor, it's all video screens. And on behind the hoops, it will display like the time, the clock, a few things like that. But there's a lot of space for like animation to take place. So uh, it could be very distracting if, if they are doing animation when guys are supposed to be shooting on offense um, or uh, shooting free throws. So I don't, I'm not sure what's going to happen actually behind the hoop, but the rest of it looks really cool. The NBA has done a really nice job of putting that court together. It looks excellent. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, as a, as a lifelong Utah Jazz fan, I just have this pit in my stomach that something is going to go wrong on the screen when the Jazz are shooting a come-from-behind three-pointer to, to win the game. It's just <laughs> every year something like that happens. It has to happen again this year. By the way, there will be a Black Lives Matter on the Orlando court as well. Um, they'll, they'll put that out there as a support of uh, the justice that they want done. And by the way, NBA will be moving up big news, draft lottery, five whole freaking days. Yeah, August 25th, August 20th. Good for you, NBA. Yippee-doo. And then the draft <laughs> itself is in September, mid-September. Yeah. Yep. So Sam uh, Merrill is, could be part say, of that list. Sam Merrill going to go, is he going to go, is he going to get drafted? I have him, yes. I think he's a second rounder. I think he'll I get. I think somebody he's will take up him. on the board. Absolutely. And Sam Vecini, who's joined our show before, of uh, the Athletic, also has him very high. I think. I think COVID has worked in his favor because he's sure. a proven yeah. commodity. There's a lot of tape on him. Teams will know what they're getting, and they're not going to be able to bring as many guys in to work out. Well, the mm, final film of point. His, the final film of his career either is not going to hurt him at all. No, <laughs> no. The way he performed in that conference tournament was epic. Hey, really quick, let me ask you guys with 90 seconds left. LeBron James, is this his best chance to win a championship after this? I mean, is this it? Is this his best chance now, the way this season's set up for him, the restart, if you will? Uh, I don't. It's hard to know. what They could put together an even better Los Angeles Lakers team next year with different moves, so hard for me to predict what that would look like. But uh, I, I think that this Lakers team is pretty well structured. Uh, and I think that the way that things are lined up for them, um, I think they're going to be in the driver's seat. Yeah, I, I, like Eric said, I don't want to say it's his last best chance. Uh, you know, he's gotten a lot of rest. He'll probably be great again next year. And, and like Eric said, there's a lot of play, way, ways that team can improve. But I do think that they, they'd probably be my pick, unfortunately. I'm not a big Lakers guy going into the into the <laughs> tournament just because of the way they're structured and the fact that, you know, in a sprint, there's no better guy to have than LeBron James. It'll be the Clippers-Lakers on July 30th. That's at uh, 7 p.m. Mountain Time on TNT. Just before them, of course, is the Utah Jazz versus the Zion Williams list. Pelicans, Zion Williamson will not play because he'll have to quarantine after coming back from the yeah, bubble he's not back whenever yet. he gets back. That'll be at 4.30. You can hear that on this station on TNT. For Eric Fritz and Ethan Durseller, I'm Ajay Salison. It's been another edition of the Full Court Press. Good night, everybody. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. You never want to jump to conclusions when it comes to the coronavirus. Storylines change on a dime. And that's why I'm hesitant to even bring this up. But I think it's important to share some good news when it comes along. The NBA had zero positives among 346 players tested since July 13th. The bubble appears to be working for now. About a month ago, we really didn't know which was a stronger strategy. Play at home or put all the players in one place. So far, the NBA and NHL seem to be in a better position than baseball in the NFL. 
That could always change. Right now, everyone in Orlando appears to be following the rules and actually having some fun. There's no guarantees that the bubble restrictions won't eventually wear on them. But as numbers remain high throughout the nation, zero positive test has to make the NBA very happy and provide even more momentum to commit to a strategy that hopefully carries the league through a successful postseason. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.